welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. folks, welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is about one of our most favorite topics, and that is mitochondria. Mitochondria being the energy factories of your cell and hence your body are critical to our performance and our health and well, our life really. My guest today is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Anurag Singh, and he is currently the chief medical officer at Amazentis SA, which is an advanced nutrition biotech company based in Lausanne, Switzerland, that discovers and develops next generation natural compounds targeting improvements in mitochondrial health. So these guys are all about the mitochondria. And Dr. Singh himself has been at this particular project for over 10 years. He has designed and led for the last seven years, the clinical development program for the natural mitophagy activators. So mitophagy, meaning clearing out damaged mitochondria, urolithin A. And the brand name of this product is called MitoPure. MitoPure comes in protein shake, it comes in a powder, you can add to smoothies, or it comes in capsules. So whatever way you like to supplement, these guys have you covered. I'm using all three these days, and I frankly love them all. Um, anyway, the work that he's done has led to the commercial launch of many branded consumer health products targeting improvements in cellular health. And Mr. Singh has received his medical training in internal medicine from the Armed Forces Medical College Pune, India, and a PhD in immunology from the University of Connecticut in the USA. He's authored over 30 articles in top peer-reviewed journals, holds over 10 patents, and has designed and led over 40 clinical trials over the last 15 years. This guy's a bit of a heavy hitter, and yet he was a great guest. And we talk all about mitochondria, mitochondrial health. We talk about what it is about uh, urolithin A that's so special, and there is a food source of a precursor of urolithin A, but unfortunately, most of us don't convert this food source into the active ingredient. One of the cool things that Timeline Nutrition, which is the holding company for MitoPure, does is they will send you a kit that allows you to measure your conversion of this uh, precursor, which comes in delicious pomegranate juice, as it turns out. So sadly, to make enough urolithin A to really affect our mitochondria and our performance, we would have to drink, most of us would have to drink gallons upon gallons of pomegranate juice, which would be a lot of sugar quite apart from anything else. However, they've got this really cool kit you can buy and you can test your very own conversion of pomegranate juice into urolithin A versus measuring your before and after using their supplement. So that's a really cool option if you're a biohacker and you love to do your own N of one experiments. If you decide to buy the supplement, you can use discount code NAT10, save 10% off of your purchase. Like I said, if you like a whey protein shake, that shake is amazing. The little powder packages are really yummy in yogurt. They kind of taste like berry and it's not overly sweet or there's the capsules. Anyway, if you enjoy this episode and you get value from it, Please make sure that you share it with your friends, your family, your networks, whoever else you think would get benefit from it as well. And if you're feeling inspired today, please make sure to leave us a review because this is what allows us to be seen, to rise up the ranks, and ultimately to reach more people. And also, it allows me to get more amazing guests for you guys. So thank you so much for being here. I've said it before. I will keep saying it every episode. I so appreciate you guys. I appreciate all your comments and questions all of the connections I have with you. So thank you so much for being here and enjoy the episode. Hey folks, just a little bit of housekeeping before we launch into the episode. Please remember that all of the information provided in these podcasts is for information purposes only. We are never offering treatments, cures, whatever for any kind of disease or medical condition. Anything you hear about here is going to be intriguing. There's some research around it, but make sure that you check with your medical provider before you go off and do any of this stuff for yourself. All right. Enjoy the episode. And also if you're looking to 
connect with me for any reason, with your comments, questions, whatever it may be, you can reach me through my website, which is natnidham.com, or you can find me on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group, or on MeWe in the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. And of course, you can also follow me on Instagram, which is at Natalie Nidham. Natalie is with an H between the T and the a, the second day. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy the episode. Hey folks, just a quick minute to thank our sponsor for this episode. Have you heard of nitric oxide? If you were a listener in December, you may have caught the full episode we have on it. Nitric oxide is a vital molecule that is responsible for cardiovascular health and blood flow in the body. But as we age, we produce less of it. And as a result, the health of our systems are impacted because we're just not getting the optimal distribution of blood and nutrients that we need. I have found a great way to ensure my nitric oxide levels are topped off. And it's a system called Berkeley Life. I take Berkeley's two capsule supplement just once a day. And that gives me the building blocks that my body needs to create adequate nitric oxide. I noticed a boost in energy and stamina all day long. And I know that all of my critical systems, like my gastrointestinal system, circulatory and cardiovascular systems are benefiting from that improved blood flow. My clients and my family take it too, and have also noticed improved outcomes. It's never too early to be thinking about how you can support and sustain lifelong health and vitality. Berkeley Life makes this possible for me and can make it possible for you too. You can access Berkeley Life by going to berkeleylife.com and using practitioner code N-I-D-D-B-L to place your order. That code will also give you 10% off that first order. And now back to the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Singh. It is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Natalie. I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite a while, actually. I think I met, well, I don't think I know. I met your team in September at the Upgrade Labs conference and- Mm -hmm. You know, it was a protracted kind of back and forth since then. And the cool thing is that they had sent me, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but they sent me the the kit to establish whether or not my body makes urolithinate efficiently. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, they, were only, they weren't able to send it to Canada. They had to send it to the States at the time anyway. So it took until I got to Florida in December before I was actually able to run the test and send it back. So... It's been one of these long time in the making podcasts, but so I'm really excited that we're here today. Dr. Singh, I was wondering if you would start with a little bit about yourself, because you've got a great big career behind you and maybe talking a little bit about your your career and how you ended up kind of honing in on this one compound that it, we're going to talk about. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. Uh, so my background is uh, I'm a physician scientist trained uh, in internal medicine, initially in India, then moved over to the States, trained in the University of Connecticut, got a PhD in, uh, in uh, immunology, and then worked a, long, a lot of time in, uh, in chronic diseases field and asthma, COPD, et cetera. Then moved over to Switzerland, uh, working in consumer health space and consumer nutrition companies for the last uh, decade and a half. And, and what became very clear to me that a lot of the sort of products in the consumer health space were all sort of, you know, you, you had the probiotics, you had the prebiotics, and then you had the blends of, you know, plant extract and polyphenols that were, you know, kind of uh, based out of literature research and kind of broad knowledge that they could could deliver health benefits but there was sort of the deep dive scientific approach was missing on how they were working what what exactly biological pathways they were hitting and so then about seven years back i joined amazentis which uh, i learned was a company at that time formed with the same belief that you know sort of to bring in the deep dive and the biotech approach to nutrition and so that vision fitted perfectly and uh, Amazentis' uh, focus was on deconstructing the pomegranate, which is a fruit. Again, if you look at the scientific literature, there's hundreds of articles about health benefits of pomegranate. Um, you know, whether you take it in juice or extracts or you know, sort of concentrates. And so, at that time, we were studying and de- trying to deconstruct the pomegranate, which has about 300 plus bioactive compounds. And so, it was really sort of which compound is causing the health benefits. And from that sort of uh, funnel approach, we focused and we realized that there was a group of uh, polyphenols called elegitanins. And, and it was these elegitanins uh, that were sort of 
needed to be then transformed by the gut microbiome into this wonderful natural molecule called urolitin A, which is well, which is really the subject of a podcast that you know we started finding these incredible effects, uh, and this was mostly because of the gut microbiome transformation. And so, yeah, we've been studying this molecule for the last ten plus years. And the last seven years of my life, I've devoted to how it works in humans and how what benefits it can bring. Wow, that's that's incredible. So urolithin A, so let's talk a little bit about, because this is really optimizing mitochondria and mitochondrial performance, right? And health, really, um, and performance. But it goes about it in a very, in kind of what people might think of as a roundabout way, because it's not like urolithin A act on mitochondria, like makes mitochondria work better or do make more ATP. And maybe we can explain to people, I mean, most people listening to this podcast probably know what a mitochondria is, but we can give them a top line little, little crash course on mitochondria, which I know people could spend years talking about yeah, sure. <laughs> what we know and what we don't know. And then how does urolithin A really impact the mitochondria and why is that so important to people? Yeah. So again, uh, not a crash course in mitochondria, but mitochondria are, are sort of the cellular you know, factories which are producing the currency of energy, which is ATP, as you mentioned. And, and, and you can boost uh, their there are three different ways you can boost mitochondrial health. Uh, so you can increase the efficiency of mitochondria. So the pool of mitochondria you have in your cells, there are, let's say, uh, um, compounds like uh, creatine or L-carnitine that are known to make you know, healthy mitochondria produce more energy. Then you can, there's another pathway that is called as uh, mitochondrial biogenesis. Now this pathway is basically, well, you increase the pool of neurohealthy near mitochondria in your, in your cells, and by that, you increase energy. And so there are compounds, resveratrol is touted as one, uh, nicotinamide, NAD modulation uh, is uh, touted as one. But with aging, what happens is these pathways are all slowing down, but and there's another third key, very well-conserved anti-aging pathway that is called mitophagy. So what is mitophagy? Mitophagy basically is your recycling uh, pathway in your cells and in, uh, specifically in your mitochondria. So as we age, we are accumulating default or faulty mitochondria that are not able to produce optimal energy, for example. And, and so they, these faulty mitochondria occupy space. So you don't really have room uh, for newer healthy mitochondria to come in or even for your healthier mitochondria to produce more ATP because these, these sort of uh, dysfunctional mitochondria are occupying space. And so what urolitin A does, very, uh, which is its novelty, is it hits, it activates mitophagy. And, and by doing that, it sort of revs up this cellular uh, recycling process that then contributes to the building blocks of biogenesis and of course, it cleans away the waste. So now you have more newer, healthy mitochondria coming in and you have more energy coming in. That's a great explanation. Thank you. So, so that's an interesting concept around mitophagy, actually, that I think people sometimes forget is it's not just the nuking of the, of the, of the dysfunctional or, you know, poor, poor um, contributors, if it will, but there's a recycling that happens and a reuse, like the body's so efficient that way, right? It's going to discard what it can't reuse but it is going to preserve and reuse elements that it can. And so I guess that somehow stimulates the, the, the biogenesis of new mitochondria or at least contributes to it. Yeah, and that's what we actually exactly seeing in our, in our clinical studies. And of course, before that, in our preclinical study, that there is an initial phase of mitophagy where the body is cleaning away the waste. And, and once that is sort of, it is another concept we call as mitohormosis. So when the body realizes that there's a perfect balance now uh, between, let's say, the, the waste has been cleaned, then the body takes those recycled fragments and starts into biogenesis mode. And, and that's what uh, we are seeing is that we see in humans, at least, uh, we upregulate after, let's say, a month of supplementation uh, genes linked to biogenesis, such as PGC1-alpha. So that indicates that first step is mitophagy, and then the biogenesis happens. That's really interesting. Yes. And so and again, and it's an interesting concept in the body where sometimes you have to destroy, like you have to clean out, you, you know, you can't build and clean out at the same time, almost there's an order of things. And yeah. so for people to get into mitophagy, just to, you know, mitophagy is probably triggered by more than just, well, all there's so many redundancies in the human body. Thank God. 
So, so what are some of the other ways that people can help to trigger mitophagy in their systems? Yeah, sure. So intermittent fasting or fasting in general is one of the biggest uh, or caloric restriction in general is, is one yeah. of the biggest ways with how you induce uh, uh, just not mitophagy, but autophagy in general. So autophagy, yeah. you know, the whole cell is now uh, undergoing uh, recycling, clearing of the waste. Uh, aerobic exercise and a mix of aerobic and resistance exercise is another one that is known to induce mitophagy as well. And, and so these are the top sort of two interventions that people can can utilize already, you know, mm-hmm. fasting and uh, exercise that, is, that are known mitophagy activators. Amongst the natural compounds, I, I think urolitin A probably would be the first and uh, novel one that does this sort of uh, hitting the same pathways. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, everybody's running around looking for this stuff, right? There is another compound I've learned about recently called spermidine that seems to help with mitophagy as well, but possibly not, you know, it hits so many of the different, it's a different compound altogether, but getting back to mitophagy and fasting, and is it similar to autophagy where you kind of have to hit a certain threshold in fasting before the mitophagy really takes place? Because I, you know, we talk to people a lot. And so people are always wondering like, so how long do I have to fast for these mm-hmm. processes to trigger? Is it 12 hours? Is it 16 hours? Is it, do I need to fast for three days? And what I've learned, you know, from a lot of the work I've done and the people I've spoken to is it depends person to person. And it, and certainly for autophagy, it, it's very dependent on metabolic flexibility. Is that true also of mitophagy or is mitophagy maybe a bit more flexible than that? No, I think it's pretty much true. Uh, mitophagy is, uh, you know, just more targeted autophagy of the, of the mitochondria. That's what it is. And, and so, in, again, it probably depends on your feeding status. Uh, what are you eating in the day? Your, your metabolic, uh, if you're insulin resistant or not, you know, things like this that dictate uh, a lot of the mitophagy flux, as we call it, similar to autophagy flux, as, as it's called. Uh, well, we, you know, and it goes back to the question, uh, why supplement also with your, something like your DNA, or you mentioned also spermidine, uh, when you can already get some exposure through diet. And, and the reason is you, you get such suboptimal exposure from diet, uh, these levels will never be enough to, to let's say, sustain uh, enough mitophagy activation. That, uh, and that's what we need to do with, uh, by short-circuiting this pathway, at least for your DNA by providing direct supplementation and making sure that mitophagy is triggered at an optimal level with certain doses we know trigger autophagy and mitophagy and and then the the physiological benefits will come in right so then if you take your olefin a and you know there's so many other things you want to talk about your olefin a but so by supplementing with your olefin a you can be in a fed state and still trigger mitophagy like you basically circumvent this need to deprive yourself of food and work out, <laughs> you know, cause ideally you probably do a big workout and then you do like when I go in, if I'm doing an extended fast, I sometimes will kick it off with a workout. That's a great question. And we've actually tackled that question. In some of our clinical studies where we have given uh, supplementation on an empty stomach after overnight fasting, and then with a hot, heavy breakfast, just to a, see if the, if the, bioavailability of the way it's absorbed is changed because that will ultimately dictate the levels. And yeah. second, are you having an impact because of the Fed status? And the answer to the to long set of experiments is no. Uh, this uh, the, fa- the fasting versus Fed status of what you're eating, it doesn't really change how your retina is impacting mitophagy and its bioavailability as well. Wow. Okay. So that's, so it's a hack, really. It's really a hack. Yeah, it's a hack and it's a short uh, way to, to sort of hit uh, pathways uh, you would otherwise struggle to comply with, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because, you know, fasting is not accessible to everybody. People find it hard, unpleasant and, yeah. and you know, cranky. <laughs> Look, I mean, in a perfect world, we can all do without food at least some of the time. But well, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it for a certain time. But then compliance is a major issue in both exercise trials and in uh, intermittent fasting trials. Absolutely. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the gut microbiome, because the gut microbiome comes heavily into play here, like in a perfect world, urolithin A is a is a byproduct of the the um, the metabolism of those pomegranate mm-hmm. compounds 
and the urolithin A is, is a byproduct. I did the test. I don't make much urolithin. I make some, but not a lot. And we were actually talking earlier before the podcast that in my case, and maybe in your case, you know, it's, I mean, there's a really good chance that the time in which we grew up, there were a lot of antibiotics involved in my in my childhood. And I've always known that my gut microbiome, you know, <laughs> it's never really been optimal. It's been a work in progress and it will, and it will be till the end of my days ultimately, because it's, it's set much earlier in life, but let's, can we talk a little bit about the, the microbiome's role and what you found in your research? Yeah. So this is the, one of the most personally as a you know, physician scientist for me, one of the most intriguing aspects of this equation, uh, the gut microbiome. Now, uh, w- when we started studying this, it became very clear. Well, the initial thought of the urolithin A, as you mentioned, was this is just a byproduct of, of uh, metabolism of these uh, pomegranate compounds. But when we started uh, seeing the effects, uh, uh, whether it was on uh, mitophagy or autophagy or on, uh, let's say, muscle health and mitochondrial health in general, we started taking a deeper look into the gut microbiome. Now, there are two biases you need to, to really, if you have a chance to succeed in nature, to be a good urolithin A producer. A, you need to be eating right. So in addition to pomegranates, walnuts are a very rich source of the precursors. Berries, some berries like raspberries or blackberries are very rich sources of. So you need to be eating a bowl of nuts, berries, or eating uh, or drinking a glass of juice, pomegranate juice uh, every day. So that's one bias. And the second is, then this sort of optimal diet probably creates uh, or you're blessed with a healthy gut microbiome that is rich and diverse in nature. And, and so we've, we've studied uh, this in detail. We've done a clinical study where we gave a glass of pomegranate juice, uh, which was pure 100% juice to 100 people. And first we say, well, how many were producing? There were only 12% in an American population wow. that we studied that were producing in real life. So they probably American diet is not super sort of healthy anyway. And, and B, most of the people were, when they took it, only about 40% were able to convert, which means that, well, the 60% are still missing out. Uh, even if you were to give them diet and that's people like me, and as you mentioned, you are also a low producer. And, and so what well, we have found that there are species such as acromansia that are enriched in these sort of uh, people who are blessed, as I call them, who can make your litane. And, and again, this is a very sort of imprecise, imperfect process that nature has created. Some are gifted, some are not. And, and so what we saw is that by short-circuiting this process by direct supplementation, we could then give all the 100 people levels that were much higher and about six-fold higher. So that, in essence, is the, is the story of the gut microbiome. Now, probably you could train it, you could improve it uh, to, to, to get from, from, you know, to improve the production of the urolithin A naturally, but I doubt that uh, it will reach sort of therapeutic levels that you see with supplementation. So it's actually acromancia that, that, that converts? I don't think it's, uh, um, you know, like biology, there's never a magic bullet. So I don't think it's one ma- magical species. Yeah, it's it's really a, a consortium, I believe. Uh, and we've put our heads over the years trying to figure out if this one magical gut microbiome species that is responsible. The answer is very difficult. It's really, you know, gut microbiome is like a concert uh, and you have these millions of bacterial species all in harmony. And then there are others that are, you know, not in harmony with the optimal gut microbiome. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you, if you eat a good diet rich in fiber, if you're eating, uh, as I mentioned, the precursors over a period of time, you could probably train your microbiome to be better. Uh, but again, if the damage has been done, as, as, I, as you touched upon in my case, growing up in India, taking a lot of antibiotics, I, I think, and, and then migrating and being on different diets, uh, Indian diet to American diet, and now more European diet. I think, uh, yeah, the microbiome is always evolving and not really there to to sort of optimally produce your lutein. But acromansia is definitely one of the interesting candidates. That is interesting because I've done some work with a program by a gentleman by the name of Joel Green, and he's all about re-restoring bacteriides and acromansia to the microbiome and doing it with food. Right. And but using certain supplementation, like he has an apple peel and HMO protocol, um, mm-hmm. and then he adds polyphenols at the end. And 
you know, he's definitely in that world of using nutrients to kind of try to, the way I think of it is recultivate these, these gut bugs that we, we lost, if we will. But at the end of the day, you also need starter fuel for that, right? And if it's been wiped out to begin with, then it doesn't matter what you feed it. If it's not there, it's not going to grow. <laughs> it's- yeah, yeah, exactly. I can drink six liters of uh, bomb grain juice. My body will make zilch of your day. That's yeah, and you'll be on a massive sugar high. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tastes good. <laughs> It's good. Yeah. So basically the supplement ultimately it's a total shortcut to the end product. So this supplement at this point right now, this is this whole postbiotic concept. Mm -hmm. This is the concept of in essence, taking the microbiome out of play and just providing the body with this end product that, that we know what's really interesting. I think about urolithin A is that it seems to make it to the cell which is not always a gimme. I mean, one of the big arguments around, you know, all of these NAD precursors and NAD is, is it actually getting to where we want it to go? And just because you take something doesn't mean it's going to go to that one place. And it seems, you know, kind of at this point, you seem to have proven through your work in the studies and the clinical trials that it's definitely getting into the cell where, or getting to the cell or that place where it needs to activate mitophagy. Yeah, a couple of years back, we published a paper in Nature Metabolism where we showed actually that as you increase the dose, you'll get more insight in, in the blood. And, and so as you went from taking, let's say, 250 milligrams of urotinate to 500 milligrams to a gram, you would get, you know, sort of dose-dependent increases. And then in these studies, we also take small chunks of muscle tissue, which is called muscle biopsies, just to study the mitochondrial health in these uh, that sounds pleasant. <laughs> yeah, it's like a wasp bite, a beast thing, uh, you know. But uh, most people, uh, they opt for it because they're, you know, in trials, they want to know if it's actually reaching much like the question you're asking. And in these studies, we looked at two things. We, we first asked, is it actually getting into the muscle cells, you know, because, you know, if it's not getting into the muscle cells, then how is it doing? Is it making other? So we saw that it's getting into the muscle cells at the same level as plasma, which is great because that means... You know, it's uh, hitting the cells. It was, you know, rich in mitochondria, which is muscle cells are one of the richest uh, cells uh, with the richest abundance of mitochondria. And second, we saw that mitochondrial genes and mitochondrial uh, biomarkers were all upregulated in the skeletal muscle cells in older adults and overweight uh, middle-aged or healthy middle-aged adults. So we've looked at a spectrum of different age population. We always see that uh, it's bio it's very bioavailable and it hits the target organs, which are rich in mitochondria, for example. Yeah. And so you, you've picked skeletal muscle because it's the easiest to measure. Is that right? Have, have you ever looked at cardiac muscle? Cause cardiac muscle is going to, again, is very, very rich in mitochondria, obviously. Sure. Yeah. So we picked skeletal muscle for two reasons. It's, it's one of the first uh, things people notice as they age, right? So everybody notices uh, a lack of energy, a, a bit low in strength, uh, you know, you, you're used to, let's say, uh, exercising for an hour and then suddenly after a few years, you, you start to feel it. So it's one of the most, uh, uh, let's say, if it, uh, yeah, one of the endpoints in clinical studies that people can, can recognize and we can measure very easily, okay? We can put people on a treadmill or an ergometer and, and see how long they can last and we can give them uh, tools to um, do like grip strength measurements. Uh, and so it's easy to measure. Heart health, uh, it's a bit more, you're absolutely right, aside the skeletal muscle, the, the human heart and the human brain are the two richest uh, organs uh, that have mitochondria. And so we've started looking at it now, uh, you know, when your small company is starting to you know, build the science. Of course, we spend years building on, on uh, evidence on muscle health. And, and now we do see metrics like peak VO2, for example. This is a perfect uh, metric to also assess cardiac health. And we see that uh, peak VO2 is improved by 10%. Uh, people, uh, when we make them do, uh, um, now we are starting our experiments uh, on looking at cardiac health, but you will see trials in the future uh, where we are starting to look at cardiac health, just not muscle health in isolation. Hey guys, just a quick interruption to thank our sponsor this episode, Bioptimizers. Did you know that over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium and that it's the number one mineral to fight stress, fatigue, and sleep issues? Well, I have a story for you. 
because lately my schedule has been packed and I was finding that my deep sleep, that restorative phase was starting to really suffer. Plus, my gut seemed to be slowing down to a crawl, which can also be a sign of stress. So I decided to run the Magnesium Breakthrough Loading Program. I bought six bottles and started loading up my body. Within just a few days, my deep sleep scores were on the rise and my gut was back to normal. And it's no big surprise. Magnesium is the single most studied mineral. It powers over 600 critical reactions in our bodies. And don't be believing people who say that any old magnesium will do. Most magnesium supplements fail because they're synthetic and not full spectrum. Magnesium Breakthrough combines all seven critical forms of magnesium so that pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded. This is by far the most complete formula ever created. And until or unless somebody comes up with a better one, this is the one I recommend. And today, as a listener of this show, you can get 10% off with a special coupon code when you visit magbreakthrough.com forward slash bionat and enter code bionat. That's magbreakthrough.com forward slash bionat and enter code bionat. And now let's get back to the show. Logically, you would think that for people with cardiovascular who've had cardiovascular issues where there's been damage done to the heart muscle that optimizing mitochondrial health is going to, it's going to be a big piece of their recovery. Yeah. And mitophagy is well known also to be impaired in, in, in people, as you mentioned, those who have heart health issues, mitophagy is well known to be impaired in mitophagy as well. So I think it's this, it's the logical second application as we move the science uh, forward. Right. And are you looking and how about crossing the blood brain barrier? Have you looked at that at all? Or how's it? How's it? Because again, like, I mean, when you think about the, the possibilities in people with, I mean, as we age, cognitive, natural cognitive decline, I mean, we always, of course, you know, we have a population that's looking to optimize. But, you know, to your point, it's easier to go look at a population where there's been a decline so that you can more easily see if there's been a restoration of function. Are you looking at that at all? Yes. So we do know today that it does cross the blood-brain barrier. We haven't done specific studies uh, looking at, uh, let's say, what aspects of human cognition, for example, it, it is uh, improving. Uh, we are aware um, in the so we, we are we started the research and we identified it as a mitophagy activator. Since then, there's a lot of top labs in the around the world that have picked up on our research, and of course, we can do uh, research in isolation ourselves. And so, there are groups in the National Institute of Health and the Buck Institute of Aging that are invest have got millions of dollars of grant funding to look at how this beautiful molecule impacts um, cognition and brain health uh, during the aging process. And they've come up with some spectacular findings. I think some of them are published as well, where they see that mitophagy declines in, 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 in the brain of, for example, in the, this is aged models that they have published in, and that uh, out of like 300 odd compounds they screen, urolitin A was one of the most potent in recovering uh, neuronal health and neuronal function in their system. So. This is another aspect we are very excited about research. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, it's interesting. I think that in all of the things we do, certainly for me, I'm always looking to see how far upstream can we get? Like how mm -hmm. far up the chain of command can we go so that if we improve this one thing, the downstream effects are just going to cascade out of it. Like you're not trying to, it's almost like the lowest intervention you can do that allows the body to then just go and do what it's going to do. And optimizing mitochondrial health, I think is just one of those things. Cause once it's like giving fuel back to a machine, all of a sudden the machine can work again and it just yeah. does what it does. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, cellular health is the bedrock of, you know, uh, our overall health and, and, I always say that these are the three pillars, good diet, good lifestyle, being active, but then you need to think about your, your different cells and, and, you know, mitochondria, improving mitochondrial health is, is a great tool to improve cellular health, whether it's brain health or heart health or skeletal muscle. So in your, in your clinical trial, so you've, you've done a lot of work with, with high performance athletes and now are you, you've moved, I think you mentioned you've moved into a more regular people, as it were, like your weekend warriors or your aged populations? Are you moving into the... Yes, the other way around. So we started uh, with aged populations or older adults, because this is where we know very well characterized uh, that mitochondrial health declines. And so that was 
sort of the logical step. We took out older adults, we gave them a month of in our first trial, a month of uh, urotin A mitopure supplementation. And then we looked at what mitochondrial health biomarkers were improving. And we, as I mentioned, we also took some biopsies. From, and, and there we figured out the doses. So the doses of uh, 500 milligram and a gram were the two most top doses of, that we found the effects at. And then we run two studies. Uh, one we just published uh, where we saw that after two months, older adults had more resistance to fatigue, meaning if you make them do a, a, a muscle function task over time, uh, whether it's leg press or pushing, a, lifting a weight on the hand, uh, the, the muscle exhausts itself after, you know, repetitive tasks. It accumulates lactate, for example. But with the urotin A supplementation, it just went about, let's, for example, 20% longer. So there was more endurance and more resistance to fatigue. And, and there's another trial we, we are just trying to get it uh, published. It, it was done in uh, about 40, 50-year-olds and middle-aged. Uh, so we moved a bit in the younger, healthy aging population. And these are, again, people who are, you know, not athletes. They're, you know, everyday Joe, they, you know, they're working, they, they do a little bit of exercise they can, but more or less sedentary. And then in this population, we saw really good robust effects on, on leg strength and improving peak VO2, which is a marker of mitochondrial health. And now we are moving uh, further into younger Olympian sort of athletes, because the idea is that with overtraining or training or repeated competitions, these athletes, uh, uh, they compromise their mitochondrial health. And mm -hmm. so can, can mitochondrial health be a way to, to recover faster uh, after competition or after training? So that's where we are today. And then we're also going into hospitalized sort of populations uh, where, you know, if you're admitted into hospital and you have uh, prolonged bed rest, are, are, are you going to, you know, where we know that muscle wastes very faster? can we see an impact there? So these are sort of the, the next steps we're doing. Fascinating. And I actually think that's such a great point on the athletes because, you know, we all think of athletes as these superhuman people, they can do amazing things. And, you know, if I could only work out, if I only had the time to train like these guys, and I think what we forget is the degree to which they train is actually, they've, they've gone over to the hump of benefit and now on the other side of, it, it, it too much of a good thing where they age faster and their body is not able to recover really yeah. from all of all of the stress and strain on their systems and it actually works against them yeah it's really accumulation of uh, cellular stress over the years of training uh, you know and, and not giving enough time for the body and the cells to recover i think that's what it is in in the end and so well, we are very interested in seeing if um, A can now uh, accelerate this recovery process and give them breathing space so they, they are again ready for the next competition or next race uh, in a better way. Yeah, well, and then maybe even um, avoid some of the long-term damage that they sustain. There's, I'd recorded a, another podcast with a gentleman who was looking at, who had looked at the biological age of an Olympian. And it turned out that this, you know, amazing Olympic medalist had her biological age was, I think it was 10 or 15 years older than her chronological age. And, you know, it's, 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 again, it's one of those things where people go, well, wait a minute, you know, like shouldn't, that shouldn't be. And so it's, it's, it, I think it'll be really interesting to see as your research continues how helping these athletes kind of recover faster if that's able to obviously your first your first metric will be their performance because that'll be the most obvious but then yeah. even if you were to dig deeper and start looking at these deeper markers of damage and yeah that's exactly the study we're running with uh, with the Australian Institute of uh, Sports in uh, in Melbourne and Canberra and we're working with uh, Professor Louise Burke there was really one of the leading researchers studying uh, elite athletes. And these are exactly, as you mentioned, the two metrics, performance and uh, recovery and oxidative stress that we're measuring in this study. Oh, cool. Amazing. Do you have an opinion um, or in terms of what you've seen of the, you mentioned that it's somewhere between 500 milligrams to a gram dosage is ideal. Is is a gram definitively better, but you recommend 500 milligrams just because it's easier for people to get their heads around or does it depend on the individual? Like someone like me, for example, who makes some, urolithin <laughs> A, would I be one of those people that might get away with a bit less or is it just that, you know, the optimal dose is a gram and then is there a point of diminishing returns 
over that or you just don't see more benefit? I'll tell you what we have seen. And, and then, so again, research is re and search, right? So you got to always uh, continue building up, <laughs> going at it. So what we know is that both Starting 500 milligram, we can impact mitochondrial health. We see upregulation of genes linked to improved mitochondrial health. We see improved uh, systemically in the blood biomarkers linked to mitochondrial health get better. Uh, now, physiologically, we see at both doses uh, statistical improvements on muscle strength, for example, at the same level. Now, where the one gram starts to get better, maybe it's kind of a kinetic, it does it faster is metrics like uh, more related to aerobic endurance and performance. So peak VO2, we get more better effects. Uh, so typically the way I think is is 500 milligrams and, and is enough for, let's say, getting benefits linked to cellular health and mitochondrial health. And if you continue longer, you get benefits linked to muscle strength. Now, if you're sports, if you're into like the weekend warrior or even into sports health, then maybe a higher dose will will well, is needed because you, you're, you know, as we were talking just before, you need to accelerate the clearance process much faster and you need to act on different levels. What we also see the higher dose do is it's a bit of a, a little anti-inflammatory and there's a lot of new literature coming that links mitochondrial health to immune health, which is the new field of immune metabolism. And so that's where I think the one gram, uh, again, a lot of athletes have inflamed bodies with aging. We also have inflamed aging. So uh, that's where I think, uh, depending on your, and so what is the right dose for you? I think that's where we've started thinking about this kit that you, you, you know, we, we chatted at the start. How does precise nutrition fit in if you're already a producer? or you're making low amounts, maybe you start off with a lower dose and then you, you know, kind of ramp it up. And for someone like me, body will never make anything. I, I go straight with the higher dose. Right, right, right. No, that's really interesting. And I guess it makes sense that the higher dose. So basically people who have a higher need. So whether it's someone who's more elderly or your high performance athlete or someone who just, you know, maybe someone who's been obese for a very long time, they've got a lot of inflammation in their body. We know that they're their bodies are struggling to meet their needs yeah. anyway. Um, whereas maybe the younger, the, someone who's essentially healthy and in pretty good shape might be able to get away with a 500 milligram dose for a period of time. Yeah, and I think this dose is a, is, is, a, is a work in progress because I mentioned research needs to be done over a certain period of time. I mean, it's again, think of your litany the way I think is like the vitamin C of aging, except that with vitamin C, we all are told to take our four orange equivalent of juice or take a gram of vitamin C, which who knows how much of it gets absorbed and how much is needed. Uh, so that what we are aware, and that's why we've been working on this concept of providing a kit to people that people can measure what they're starting out at and then, you know, titrate accordingly if they want. I mean, 500 is the, is the dose we know will improve cellular health. So we're very confident about that. And then if you want to ramp up uh, to a gram to, to get better physiological effects, you, you ramp up. Right. Have you ever thought about or looked at, and maybe it's still early days, because I guess, you know, it's funny, we, we don't always think about how long it takes to accumulate the knowledge that we need on things like this, right? So still very much in its infancy, even though you've been at it for so you know, you've been at it for so long, but have you ever, or do you think you might, and, and, you know, this is a funny question to ask of a drug company, because at the end of the day, you know, their perfect world is everybody just takes it every day and it's mm -hmm. good in the world. But in terms of cycling this as a supplement for people, do you think there might be some benefit in maybe going higher dose, like to the one gram for a shorter, for, for a period of time, let's say three months, because we know we need a couple of months before you actually experience any kind of real benefits. You get that extra month with the superior function. And then if you were to cycle off it for one or two months and then go back to it, is this something you think there might be any value in or, or have you even looked at that yet? Or is that it's going to be down the road? <laughs> I think it's going to be down the road. Uh, you know, dosing, should I take uh, half the dose in the morning and half the dose in the uh, evening? So to, is it the peak levels that matter or is it the exposure yeah. over time? And as you're saying, well, do you need X amount of time and then you can taper off and then bring it back again? You know, it's, I don't really 
have answers to all this. As I mentioned, these are more uh, longer term sort of research as a continuum of time. So we've been at it at 10 years. I think we need another five plus years to figure out all these questions. But what I do think is, and, and we are a science-based company, nutrition company, is that, you know, think of exercise. If you just thought of it, we know exercise is hitting the same pathways as this molecule. Now, if you said, oh, let me do exercise for two months and then stop doing exercise and then, oh, I, I come back again two months after. That's not what we know about exercise science. We, we know you need to be added regularly over time to get the best effects out of it. So uh, what we do know is the kinetics of this molecule and it, it peaks about six hours, stays about 20 hours, 24 hours, and then the levels start declining. So in my opinion, if you want to take it, uh, it's best taken a day, for example, as long as you can until you see the effects. And then it's up to you to decide how much. Uh, but again, to draw the correlation with exercise, that's how I tend to think about it. Yeah, well, that's that's actually a really good point. I mean, unless you were you were cycling your your building and burning periods, you know, like there's someone that I've worked with in the past who he has these building phases where he has his clients build, build, build. And then he has what he calls and he actually would start with a teardown phase where you're stripping the body of what it doesn't need. So you would use your synolytics. You might use something like this a little more heavily because you're doing a bit more fasting. You're not as focused on the building phase, you're kind of trying to get rid of things. And then he would go into his build phase, but then you could make an argument that says, but yeah. now you're going to want to take your urolithin A to fuel the muscles. <laughs> yeah. For <laughs> example, what, what we are doing in terms of research again, and, and we, we don't have answers, so I don't pretend to have an answer to your question, but we are starting to see we're doing a time course. Is it a week when we start seeing in humans mitophagy or is, you know, we know in a month, is it earlier? Can we still see effects? Uh, we know we are seeing physiological effects and we're seeing biogenesis. So, you know, again, back to the question, is, is cleaning uh, the waste uh, upfront for a week or a month more key than, but I think there's a maintenance phase. And, and so yeah. uh, the way, again, I think of it, to give you a second example is you're, you're, you're recycling in your home, right? You accumulate waste in your home, it fills up and then you recycle uh, and then you fill more. And that's how this molecule we know works today, right? So you have a waste bin, you fill it up, it cleans it up, then you get more space to grow new mitochondria and then you again accumulate waste. So it's kind of um, a cycle. Yeah, I think actually it's that one of those things you just, you just, I mean, you want mitophagy to be going on all the time. And to your home analogy, you don't want to fill your house with garbage and then just take it out. And at some point you get biogenesis, which is what yeah. I call the, the mitohormosis concept. There's always, you know, a balance that the body has. And with aging, the balance shifts towards declining mitophagy. So you kind of activate it and then the body switches back to more of the biogenesis mode. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, um, another question for you is the dosage, and I'm I'm gonna guess not because you haven't talked about it at all. But have you found it to be uh, dependent on the person's size? Like, do bigger people need more, or have you found that generally speaking, it's pretty even, Stephen, across the board? I, I think it's pretty much similar bioavailability, whether you know uh, it's BMI or sort of. Uh, different uh we've looked at French populations there's more uh mixed uh, uh ethnicities and we don't see an impact of uh, gender body weight or ethnicity on how it's absorbed so it's it's pretty much similar effects across the board right okay so not size dependent gender dependent or ethnic dependent it's really about are you making the stuff or are you not making the stuff yeah. I mean, are you more athletic and do you need more? We are still doing the experiments and the research right. is ongoing. So we'll know more about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as we've talked about, there's a reasonable chance that your high performance athlete is going to have a higher need just because they're pushing their body that much harder. And similarly, the, the complete antithesis of the high performance athlete, the person who's more challenged might need again might also benefit more and so in that vein have you you know one of the populations i come across a lot that are really struggling and very much struggling with 
energy at a very foundational level are people who are dealing with something like Lyme or mold or EBV, like these co-infections that just seem to zap or, or chronic fatigue syndrome, like these, these things, these low-lying chronic infections that just seem to drain people's energy. Is this an area that you have looked at at all or you might look at in the future? Yeah, we haven't, to be honest. We have not looked at these areas, uh, but we do know uh, we have real life feedback now because we've been selling the product for the last year and a half. And there are a lot of folks who have these, uh, as you call, chronic fatigue uh, uh, issues who, who swear by it. And they think, uh, um, yeah, whether they're recovering after a viral illness or anything similar, that it does help them recover better. And a lot of times, uh, when you have, have these conditions, you're also taking a lot of medications that are also known to have detrimental effects on mitochondria. So that's where, uh, again, not studied it, and it's mostly anecdotal, but that's what we're starting to hear. That it's helping folks who have uh, fatigue. And uh, we've seen in our studies, at least muscle fatigue is improved. So mus that's a key element to overall fatigue. So we do think that it, it does have a role, but needs to be studied in more detail. Yeah, it's a piece of the puzzle. And I guess the next one that would come down the pipes on that line, not to say bad word or anything, but would be your COVID-19 long haulers, which again, these are people who are just, they just can't seem to get themselves going. The The condition needs to be studied more. You know, is, is it a mitochondrial deficit or is it uh, more something else uh, in that population? I think the studies will, uh, the, the goal when you, you're studying a new, ingredient or a new, let's say, natural product is to set the foundation of science that people say, oh, wow, this is interesting. And then, you know, as a small company, we can do 50 yeah. trials, right? So then now, since we published our last paper, now I'm getting calls exactly on all the different topics uh, that you mentioned. So saying, oh, maybe it could work for this population or maybe right. it could work for... So I think that's how the aspiration is, is to build the foundation of science and then get more a real world feedback, but also other, um, let's say, top labs testing it out for different uh, conditions. Yeah, I guess that's the goal. I never thought of it that way, but I guess when you come out with a with a novel ingredient like a novel compound like this, yeah. um, the hope is to inspire other labs around the world to kind of grab the flag and run with it, kind of thing. And see it validated because okay, this is uh, you know, and that's what we aspire here in, in our company is really work with the top labs and that's what we have done since our 10 plus years is really partner with the top labs and let them study the molecule yeah no that's um i guess more brains the more people you have on it the faster it'll go and the more we'll learn so is there anything we've kind of not touched on here what 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 else would should people know about urolithin a so we know that it can be taken fasting or fasted or on an with food, um, do you think do you think there might be some additional benefits if people if someone was doing a fast to take mm -hmm. it while they were fasting as well, just to kind of give that extra push? We haven't studied in humans, but uh, we have done comparison head to head, uh, sort of similar uh, in other models of aging, where we do see that um, the effects on, for example, uh, autophagy and mitophagy are very similar to fasting. And uh, I don't think we have done combination of fasting. We have done exercise. So we have given uh, exercise regimens uh, in addition and, and it's additive. So you, the effects of exercise are boosted if you add uh, your litin A uh, into the diet so that we know. Uh, and now, of course, we're running trials in elite athletes who are exercising. So that will add to the body of evidence with fasting. No, to be honest, but we know it hits the same pathways. Okay. So, I mean, it won't hurt. That's for sure. Okay. Is there anything we've left out? Is there anything else you'd like people to know? Are you still running those tests? Are you, are you still sending out the test kits to people? Can people get the test? Yeah. So actually it's running as part of a virtual clinical study. So people can participate uh, uh, in the study and sign up and, and, and they get a kit in the home and with instructions on how to, to do it. And then it's too small, you know, with the uh, capillary finger prick blood, uh, a few drops of blood, you, you get to know, A, first, if you're a producer or not. And then you take uh, a single dose and you see the difference uh, the dose can bring uh, in terms of um, blood levels. And, 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 and the next, I think, 
you may want to ask what is the future you know mm. so yes it's important to know if you're a producer or not but what 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 do i do with that information i think as we think about the next building block or the next version we're starting the thing you mentioned biological age uh we are actually starting the thing of a more precise nutrition kit that will allow people with with let's say a set of mitochondrial biomarkers and biological age to track their cellular health because that's what we are actually uh, trying to improve is, is cellular health well it's what we were talking about right as far upstream as you can and and we have talked a lot about you know physical performance and athletic performance but really you know, the, the big, the big win for so many people who listen to these podcasts that we're all after is this improved health span and longevity exactly, yeah. and function as we age and those keeping those little energy power plants going. Exactly. I think that's the holy grail. Can we improve health span and can you make people continue to, you know, go out and do activities of daily living, like, you know, you were doing 20, you know, 20 years back. So, yeah. What do you think is the, um, optimal human lifespan or maximum human lifespan have you thought about that much yourself well to summarize a code i read somewhere you know about 50 60 years uh, back we were the average lifespan was about 35 40 if i if i'm not correct um, of course uh, the wars and the infectious disease that were rampant but now we an average are living 80 years so i'm sure if we address the pillars the three pillars of diet lifestyle and and of course uh, eat the right nutrition for ourselves i think we can extend it further for sure but i think the goal is to be 90 and, and do things you know uh, that you were doing when you were 60 and, and i think that should be an easy goal um, to set let's achieve first and show we can achieve that and then we can aim for mars you know let's go to the moon first <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree with you. I think that, you know, as we improve the time that we live next is first, let's improve the quality of that time. And then let's think about the next. And it's possible. We, we know there are these blue zones around the world, right? Where people yeah. are living to 100 and, you know, in these, uh, they're not doing anything extraordinary. They're just uh, eating right They're They move around a lot and they eat fresh fruits and nuts and, and they all at hundreds still very active. So yeah. it, that certainly can be done. Well, I think sometimes it's what you don't do. We, we always, we're always looking to see what's the next thing I should do. What's the next thing I should take? What's the next thing, you know, I can buy. And sometimes mm -hmm. what we forget is it could be, have a lot to do with what we don't do, what we don't eat, what we don't buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, you're right. And you know, it's going back to the mitochondria, right? Mitophagy first and biogenesis next. It's getting to that to that balance. Okay, well, how can people order their test kit? How can they get their hands on the magic MitoPure? <laughs> you know, we can send you the link to the to to the study, and they, they you know it's a link people can register on on uh, the link, uh, and they'll get a if they're approved if they fulfill the different criteria of the study, uh, they'll get a kit at their home. But if they're interested in buying the product, they can go to uh, timelinenutrition.com. And if they want to learn more, they can go to mitopure.com as well. Oh, so what's the difference between those two sites? Mitopure.com is more for... Mitopure.com is just a science-based website. People can learn more about the science and how the discovery was made and how you know cells age and why should we care about cellular aging and things like this. Timeline Nutrition is is the is sort of the, the nutrition brand uh, that sells mitopure uh, and they can uh, go to timelinenutrition.com and, and purchase if they prefer you know we have three products so most people prefer to take pills so we have the the pills uh, i i see nutrition as just not uh, pills that you need to pop it but also something that should taste good as well so we do have two products one is a berry flavored pomegranate flavored powder that you can mix in your daily yogurt or muesli. And then we have a high protein shake with the MitoPure uh, sort of hitting muscle mass and strength bioenergetics in, in one combo. And so, yeah, people can choose what fits their lifestyle. Nice. Well, I mean, or, or a combination, right? I think or a combination. There's, I think uh, it'd be probably optimal, right? Because you're getting it in food form, you're getting it with your protein on maybe days when you're working out and then you're taking the pills yeah, you can choose a one month of each. Uh, so that's also an option. And you can choose to try all three products in the package. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I think that's great. So timelinenutrition.com and mitopure.com, all these links will be in the show notes, guys. And we'll also have a link for a discount code for you. We just, we didn't have it in time for the episode, but if you're listening to this, you probably heard it in the intro, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, So Dr. Singh, thank you so much for your time, your evening, my afternoon. Um, We really, I really appreciate you uh, sharing. Thoroughly enjoyed my uh, conversation with you, Natalie. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.